Happy Easter. Well, thanks. Human beings are like sharks. No, we don't bite and devour each other. We've always got to keep moving. We got to keep moving. Life is moving. We can't stop. When we stop, that's it. We're like sharks. We got to keep moving. Or as the uh, popular philosopher John Mayer once famously said, you can't stop this train. Don't make fun of me for liking John Mayer. He's a fantastic guitarist. You're welcome. All right. Uh, you never know. You never know. It's kind of like Nickelback. <laughs> Not yet. Life moves. Life takes us places. It doesn't stop moving. It doesn't stop taking us places. Just like life moves, pain moves. Pain is not static. Hurt takes us somewhere. Hurt left unchecked takes us somewhere we may not want to go. Pain transforms us. Pain and hurt and disappointment are not static. They are taking us somewhere. And the question is, where are we going? Where are we going? Part of the reason I'm a Christian is because the first Easter was very different from the party we are having here this morning. There were no biscuits and gravy. There was confusion. There was pain. There was hurt. As you read the New Testament, these eyewitness accounts about that first Easter, there was no party planning committee. It's okay, guys, we got six hours till that tomb's empty, all right? Who's going to get the streamers? Who's going to get the cake? Let's rock and roll. Here we go. Five, four, three, two, move that stone. No, the New Testament tells a story about followers who find an empty tomb and don't know what that means. There's pain, there's hurt, there's confusion. Huh? What is going on here? What's happening here? This morning, you all look great. All right, we put on our Sunday bests. We're ready to rock and roll. That doesn't mean that these nice ties and those beautiful floral arrangements take away pain. It's painful to watch a marriage fall apart again. It's painful when family turns their back on us. It's painful when our careers consistently disappoint us and our friends on social media are having a better time and somehow look better doing it. Hurt is not static. It moves us somewhere. And the question is, where are we going? That very first Easter, we meet a disciple who was hurt. He actually was crushed. 
He felt betrayed by Jesus. And so he says, I refuse to follow Jesus. I'm done. Pain takes us somewhere. Pain took this disciple to a place where he's refusing to have anything to do with Jesus. They're called emotions for a reason. Motions. Emotions. They move us somewhere. Without emotions, we stop moving. And the hurt and the disappointment from a crucified Messiah left one disciple hurt and refusing to move toward Jesus. That's the first Easter. But just like pain isn't static, just like hurt moves, Jesus isn't static. Jesus moves. And that first Easter, we see Jesus moving toward this disciple. We see Jesus creating space for hurting people. This disciple's pain does not overwhelm Jesus. Jesus is not indifferent to his pain. He moves toward him. He creates space. He moves toward him, and the first thing he says to him is, peace be with you, peace. We think that just sounds like this static, like King James greeting, like, peace be with you. It's not what he's saying. There's great intention there. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace, and it means wholeness. When things are broken and they get put back together, they experience shalom. So in 1 Kings 4, there's a hole in a wall. Solomon patches the hole, and the wall is now shalom. Jesus shows up, moves toward hurting people, and says, I'm here to offer wholeness, peace. Whoa. One of my favorite things to do as a pastor is to sit with hurting people, feel their pain, sit with them, and then ask them, do you think God likes you? It, I all consistently get this reaction. Like you can just see their gears just got stuck. Like, he, he, he loves me. Yeah, God loves me. That's not what I ask. Does he like you? He loves me. The message of that first Easter is Jesus likes you. I don't know if you've ever moved towards someone who's moving away from you. I don't know if you've ever done that. It can be very painful. And then the very first thing that you say to them when you encounter this person is wholeness. I want you to be, I want you to flourish. I want you to be made well. We typically don't do that for people we don't like. Jesus is saying, I'm moving towards you. I'm creating space for you, hurting people, to experience healing. That's Easter. That's good news. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be looking at John chapter 20. John chapter 20, starting in verse 24. If you don't have a Bible, there are these maroon seatback Bibles, and it's on page 1,652. Page 1,652. You'll definitely want to double-check that, because as my wife says, I'm always confident, sometimes correct. <laughs> John chapter 20. Jesus creates space 
for hurting people. Jesus moves toward us in our pain, and he creates space for hurting people. We're reading Thomas's story. Am I, was I right? Mm, that's so good. Here we go. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the resurrection happens. Ten disciples see the resurrected Jesus. Thomas went out for bread. Missed it. So verse 25, the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I'm not. I'm not giving him my allegiance. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hands and put it into my side. Stop doubting and give me your allegiance. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you believe? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let's ask for God's help. God. God, pain takes us places. No one escapes. Indecision is a decision. Father, I pray that as we sit in our pain, you'd give us the courage to name even that. Life can hurt. God, I pray that we would feel you moving toward us this morning. The resurrected Savior moves in this world, and I, I pray your Spirit would just be moving in this place, that we would experience the Jesus who creates space for hurting people. Ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. I can tell by the looks on some of your faces that many of you are like, what in the world are we talking about? I've heard this story of Thomas before, and I, he's got, this is different. Thomas has a famous nickname. Has anybody ever heard Thomas's famous nickname? Does anyone know what it is? Shout it out if you know it. Doubting Thomas. Yes, yes, man. Everyone had their breakfast this morning. This is fantastic. The reason uh, we have our imagination shaped by Thomas is because of this painting by Caravaggio. Uh, I didn't know that. I had to look it up. Don't worry. Uh, it's called The Incredulity of St. Thomas. Do you know what incredulity means? Me neither. Uh, so The Incredulity of St. Thomas. There's Thomas in the foreground, and there's Jesus. And what's Thomas doing? Gross, right? What are you doing, bro? That's disgusting. Uh, he's like, oh, let's, let's look at this here. See, uh, this story, as is told traditionally, is that Thomas just wasn't around when Jesus was raised from the dead. And so Thomas is like, guys, Jesus, they're like, hey, hey, Thomas, Jesus raised from the dead. He's like, oh, shucks, I missed it. I really would like to believe, but I'm going to need some evidence here. Uh, oh, hey, Thomas, what kind of evidence do you need? Well, you know, it'd be nice to maybe see the holes in his hands. That would really help me believe. That's the kind of evidence I need to believe that he rose from the dead. You know, people don't just raise from the dead, folks. Okay, Thomas, that's good. So Jesus shows up. He's like, check it out, Thomas. Look, 
Look what you asked for. There's holes, huh? Oh, holes. And Thomas is like, wow, I now believe. And Jesus goes, well, you know, you needed evidence though. All right, blessed are people who don't need evidence. And that's traditionally how we've understood this story. This morning, my opinion, strong opinion, is that's totally ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. And, and many critics of the Christian faith have actually pointed this out. They're like, if, if that's what happened, Jesus is encouraging thoughtlessness. He's encouraging, hey, you know, you had to see for yourself, but blessed are those who turn off their brains and just believe, right? There's a special blessing on those types of people. I do not believe that's what's happening in this story. I think Thomas got the wrong nickname because Caravaggio imagined Thomas's encounter with Jesus. This cannot be overstated. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that Thomas touched Jesus. It does not say that at all. Caravaggio imagined this. And, you know, let's be gracious with him. He, this was around the time of the Renaissance when, like, reason was king. So they're thinking, like, man, he, ha he had these, uh, like, mental objections. He just needed those objections. So he's studying evidence like a good scientist. That was kind of the, the zeitgeist of that day. So we're going to be gracious with Caravaggio and not think that we're better than him. But doubting Thomas, I think, it's just a bad rap. I think he's more disappointed, Thomas. One of the things that these eyewitness accounts, these gospels, tell us is that the disciples often misunderstood Jesus until his resurrection. Not once or twice, often. There, again and again, last week we had Palm Sunday. Jesus comes in riding on a donkey, and it says the disciples had no idea what was happening until after his resurrection. And we can be very harsh on them. There's one famous American author who said, I really like Christianity, but those disciples are useless. They are just so stupid. And we're like, yeah, they're really dumb. No, they're not dumb. They had wildly different expectations. So Thomas, I don't think Thomas is... He has these mental reservations about Jesus. I don't think Thomas's problem is evidential. I don't think it's evidential. I think it's emotional. I think Thomas had expectations about who Jesus is, what Jesus is going to do, and then Thomas watched his Messiah get crucified. A crucified Messiah is a contradiction of terms. Messiahs were our heroes that came in and lived forever. It's, it would be like being at Superman's funeral. Like, what? Not so super. Thomas had all these expectations and they got crushed. And so what he says, what he says is not, well, unless I see the evidence, then I'll have reasons to believe. I don't believe that's what he's saying. I think he's making a, like a, a statement, right? Like, so, if you've ever uh, pursued someone who was way out of your league, you know, hey, will you go out with me? Will you go out with me? Will you go out with me? And they're like, I will go out with you when the Kansas City Royals win the World Series three years in a row. All right. We got it. No, no, no. That date's not coming. All right. That's the type of statement of like, when pigs fly, when hell freezes over. All right, that's what just happened. That's what Thomas is saying. Thomas is like, you know what? 
oh, I'll trust Jesus again. Yeah. Yeah, when I can just shove my hand right into his body. Okay? You're like, gross. Thomas had no intention of actually doing that. He's making a when pigs fly statement. Why? Numbers six, numbers nine in the Old Testament, verses six and seven, forbid the touching of dead bodies. You would become ceremoniously unclean. This is nothing he intends to do. He's saying, I will not give my allegiance to Jesus. And that phrase, actually, that phrase in verse 25 again, when he says, I will not believe, in Greek, it's a double negative. I will not, not believe. In English, we don't do that, right? If I say to you, after today, I'm not, not taking a nap. What am I doing later today? I'm taking a nap, right? Double negatives, make a positive. In Greek, though, not, not doesn't make a positive. It makes a heck no. There is no way. You think I'm giving my allegiance to Jesus? Heck no. You're wrong. Thomas is making a ridiculous claim. See if the Royals can win this World Series three years in a row. Let's see. And then we see something remarkable. Thomas has refused to associate with Jesus. And what happens? Jesus moves toward Thomas. We can't, just like we can't overstate that Thomas didn't actually do what he was claiming to do, we cannot overstate Jesus' first words. Though the doors were locked, that's not welcoming and inviting. That's an obstacle. Jesus doesn't let that stand in his way. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Your pain may have pushed you far from God. Your pain may have, may have caused you to go down roads. Oof, we just don't talk about church. And the message of the first Easter is someone's looking for you. He's coming after you. Not to punish you, to offer peace. Jesus creates space for hurting people. God doesn't just love you. He likes you. We don't do this for people we don't want to be around. The word for that is grace. Unmerited favor. Jesus moves toward hurting people. He's not indifferent to our pain. He doesn't try to spiritualize away our pain. He moves toward us in our pain, and he offers us peace. Psychologists call that attunement. I was listening to a new podcast by two of my most favorite people in the world. Rick Rubin, the famed producer, Jay-Z and the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and Phil Jackson, the famed Laker coach. Not Bulls. It was an amazing conversation. Jackson was talking about how he grew up, both his parents were preachers. Had no idea. Both his parents were preachers. He grew up in a very spiritual house, but he left his faith. He left his faith, and, and Reuben was talking about, well, well, how do you experience spirituality right now? 
And you know what Jackson's response was? I experience spirituality when people are present. Not when we're talking on Zoom, when we're together, these face-to-face. I experience spirituality on the basketball court when players aren't thinking, they're just moving the ball around and there's this kind of flow. What's he describing? What's he talking about? What he's talking about is mental presence. When we are truly with other people. I, I think if Jesus were to appear in that podcast, which is the only thing that could make that podcast better, I think if Jesus were to appear, he would say to Phil Jackson, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Because, yeah, presence is life-giving. When we feel felt, when someone's moving toward us, we call that life. And Easter says, Jesus is doing that for us. He's moving toward us. Thomas's problem is not evidential. He doesn't need more facts. His problem is emotional. He feels crushed. He feels disappointed. And Jesus is like, Thomas, let's talk about being whole. Attuning. The God of the Bible sees your needs. He's not indifferent to your needs. He's moving towards you to feel your needs. Call that love. We call that presence. Emmanuel, God with us. The beautiful thing, though, and this is a real relationship. In real relationships, we challenge each other. We don't just say, I love you, you love me. We're a happy family. I got to get along. I can't say anything bad about anything you've done, so here we go. And Jesus challenges Thomas. He attunes to him. He's present with him, just like he does that with us. And then he stretches Thomas. He stretches him. He challenges him. He, look with me again in your Bibles. Uh, so in verse, in verse 25, Thomas has made the claim. He says, I will not believe But then in verse 27, what does Jesus say? Then Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. What's he saying? Thomas, put up or shut up. You made this ridiculous claim. Here we go. Is this what you really want? Right, like that person who said they, they would date us if the Royals won the World Series three years in a row, on the off, off, off chance that that would ever happen, you think you're going to knock on that person's door and be like, hello, you said, (laughs) right? You promised. It was 40 years ago. (laughs) You promised. Oh, you're right. You're right. I did. Let me leave my family and the life that I had because I moved on from that ridiculous statement. No. That's not what's happening here. Jesus ain't Thomas. I see you. I see that pain. You want to stay in that pain? You want to move on with me? What do you want to do? Where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you going? See, if we start with challenge, we miss love. So many churches start with challenge. We've got to tell them the truth. And if we miss the attuning and we just start with a challenge... I don't care who you are. We experience that as harsh. Uh, before my wedding, I worked at a credit union. I was a teller. I remember there was this regular. She came in very frequently. Very blunt lady. I told her I'm getting married. And she goes, oh my gosh, that's fantastic. Uh, and before or after you lose that 10 pounds? Jeez, like I know there's a lot of donuts at the bank, but I mean, I wasn't... <laughs> right? Like, and she leaves, Right? 
And I was like, what the heck was that? And all my coworkers were like, oh, she's just messing with you. She's joking. I was like, that was not funny. I do not, what, in the, you know, for the next week, I'm just like, you know, wedding pictures, I'm like, you know. Now, that can be funny, but we got to get on the same page for that to be funny, and then still, it's pretty risky. But if we don't attune, if we don't get on the same page with other people, we experience this harsh. Jesus comes, and he first attunes. I see you, Thomas. I've heard about this ridiculous offer you've made, and I'm moving towards you. And no obstacle is going to stand in my way. Not your refusal. You can run, Thomas, but I can run too. I'm coming for you, and I'm offering you peace. And then he challenges him. You going to do it? What's Jesus really saying? You going to stay in your peace? Are you going to stay in that pain? Are you going to come with me? I create space for hurting people. Do you trust me? Now, we have to make sense, though, of Jesus' statement at the end. When he says, because you have seen me, you have believed. What Jesus is saying is this. All it took was for me to show up. That's all it took. Well, Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Here's what I believe Jesus is saying. He's not saying... It is fantastic when people just shut their brains off and trust me. Whew, I love cults. All right, that's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is this. Thomas, I already met your need for evidence. I already met that need. All right? Blessed are those who respond to that. The Christian faith is reasonable. Again and again and again. Luke tells us, Jesus presented himself alive by many proofs. John tells us a chapter earlier that when water is rushing from Jesus' side on the cross, he said, an eyewitness saw that, and we know this is trustworthy. You can trust. The Gospels, the four biographies about Jesus are eyewitness accounts that were historically uncontested for hundreds of years. People were not saying the tomb was empty. They came up with other stories like, well, they probably took his body. What does that mean? That means the tomb was empty. Right? And they're, oh, let's just come up with a story for how that tomb was empty. They moved his body and they hid it and we never found it. Bummer. Jesus is saying to Thomas, I already met your need for evidence. In Deuteronomy 19, the Torah required two witnesses to believe something. Who does Thomas have? Ten witnesses. The other disciples, these were people he had lived with for the past three years and experienced trauma, traumatic experience. They bonded together. He watched these people go from doubting and denial to deserting Jesus. They all fled. Ah! And now these ten of his closest friends are saying, Thomas, we are all of sound mind. Jesus appeared to us. And Thomas is like, so what? Pain takes us somewhere. Jesus is not endorsing that you just ignore your pain, that you ignore your doubts. Jesus is saying pain takes us somewhere, though. Pay attention to that. Where are you going? That's the question that, he, that is posed for us by John. 
when he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. This book was written down knowing that people would read it for years after who more than likely had not seen Jesus. And it's an invitation. When, when, Jesus, when Jesus presents himself to Thomas, remember, Thomas doesn't touch him. He's humbled. He's like, my Lord and my God. That's the greatest confession of faith he could say. That's God's name in the Old Testament, Yahweh Elohim. There's only one person that gets allowed to be called Yahweh Elohim. And Thomas is like, he's right there. This is the God of the Old Testament. I'm done. I surrender. I win. I, I'm out. And now the question is, hey, readers, you also have been given evidence. People that you love who are of sound mind. They're not crazy. They say they've met Jesus and that he changed their lives, that they've been loved by a Savior and they know God. And there's more than one of them that are telling you. And if you just write that off, that's not indifference. That's not indecision. This room is full of people who have met the resurrected Savior. And their stories are proof that he is working in the world. One of the greatest evidences of the resurrection is the explosion of Christianity. Like there were many would-be messiahs. There were about 12 before Jesus, 12 after Jesus. A lot of them died. Their followers either deserted, they went home, or they found a new messiah. Nobody stuck with that Messiah. Okay, so that's, we're already swimming upstream. And then Christianity just explodes into the world. You have to answer that. Are we all crazy? You've met us. I mean, don't answer that out loud. I mean, <laughs> my insecurity is like, ooh, don't answer that. Thomas's objections to the faith were not evidential, they were emotional. We are emotional people. The the greatest way to go through life without experiencing anything is just to bury all your emotions. We're not controlled by our moods, but we are moved places by our emotions. That's why they're called emotions, motions. Human beings are funny people. I believe his name was Howard Lynn. Howard Lynn was an Iowa farm boy who, like many Iowa farm boys in the 1940s, found himself on a war airplane above Germany. It's World War II. He's serving his country, and he's a gunner in, an, in, an, in a plane. And the plane is taking shots. I can't imagine. I mean, I would be so useless back there. I would just, <laughs> I'd pass out probably. I would just be this dead weight. So he's taking bullets, and he ta- the engine starts taking bullets. Doof, doof, doof. And then a fire starts. So, you know, he's got the headgear on. He gets on the and he's like, uh, Captain, uh, there's a fire back here? And the captain yells back, put it out! And so he opens, like, part of the hat, and he said it was, like, just a blowtorch coming out. Right? So he tells, like, Captain, I'm out of here. He puts on his parachute, and he jumps. Now, uh, the U.S. government was saving money at this time, and so there was no parachute training. Uh, Lynn said the parachute training he got was... Uh, the first time you do it, if you survived, that's your training. So he's free-falling through the air, 
Had, uh, not over friendly ground, too, might I add. There's bullets. Which they told him, he just remembers, don't pull it too soon because that makes you an easy target. So when the trees started getting really close, he pulls the ripcord. He, he, he survives. Amazing. In the excitement of everything, though, he forgot to do one thing. In the excitement of everything, he forgot to take off his airplane boots and put on the shoes that the army gave him. So he's walking through this small German town and he stands out like a sore thumb because he's wearing U.S. Army or Air Force boots. A 15-year-old by the last name of, uh, I think it was like Beerman. 15-year-old by the last name of Beerman says, hey, come in here, man. Okay. Later that afternoon, German authorities knock on the door and they take Lynn to a POW camp. So he goes from Crazy suffering, survival, back into crazy suffering. He was betrayed by a 15-year-old kid. For 87 days, he's in a POW camp, and he said the beautiful thing about the smell was that we all smelled, and so we didn't know anything. He said he, said he would just look at his fellow POW uh, inmates, and he could just watch lice moving all over their body. They were suffering. They were living in filth. One afternoon, he remembers in the camp. I don't know why they call it camp. One afternoon, he remembers being in the prison, and a friend is like, I'm going to go for it. And they're like, dude, don't. He's like, I, I don't care. I'm going to die here. I'd rather try to make a break for it. So he, he clinches his fists, Lynn describes, and he runs for the barbed wire. He slams in the barbed wire, and he just gets mowed down by German officers. Then watches a man die. That was the first time it hit him. I could die. This might be over. This is terrifying. They transport Lynn to another city, and eventually they let him go. He moves back to Iowa, becomes an Iowa farm boy again, moves on with his life. Until 50 years later, 50 years later, we're talking the 90s, the Clinton administration. MTV still plays music videos. The 90s, he gets a phone call. He gets a phone call from someone that says, I have someone I think who wants to meet you. Okay. Lynn flies to Germany and meets a now 65-year-old man called Mr. Bierman. Mr. Bierman had turned Lynn in. And it ate away at him for 50 years. He tried to explain. Like, I didn't intend to turn you in. Like we took you in because we wanted to house you. We wanted to, like, we wanted to like help you. But then we got scared and we didn't know what to do. And so we just called the authorities. It just was eating away at him. There are these two psychologists. There are two psychologists uh, who study. Their name was O-Liner. I think it was Dr. Stephen and Dr. Pearl O-Liner. They studied people who housed Jews during World War II and people who turned Jews away. It was fascinating what they found. What they found from the people who housed Jews, from all these, like, talking to them, all these interviews, research, they found the people who housed Jews were incredibly relationally connected. They had these webs of relationships. And it wasn't just like around the time that they made the decision to save people's lives. They had relationships from a young age. They had relationships in high school and college. And then after, and then when World War II happened, they had those relationships. 
people who turned Jews away were, by and large, not relationally connected. They were more isolated. So at the time when people came to them and said, hey, we need help, we're going to die. It's easy to shut a door. Mr. Beerwood finds himself somewhere in the middle. I want to help you. I see the value of relationship. I'm going to help you. But fear gets the best of him, and he turns him away. He didn't know what happened to him. He just assumed he died, and it ate away at him for 50 years. Pain is not static. It moves us somewhere. Mr. Lin heard his apology said, just in pure Midwest fashion, son, I was never mad at you. War makes people do crazy things. I forgive you. And they lived the rest of Mr. Beerwood's life as friends, sending each other gifts every Christmas. Why? We are deeply relational beings. It is not good for humans to be alone. When we are alone in our pain, at the lowest moment, Jesus jumps over all the obstacles and says, I am for you. I'm coming after you. Locked doors don't stop me. A grave doesn't stop me. I am for you because I like you. And we call that grace. Jesus moving toward Thomas is not inconsistent at all with his life. He died for Thomas. So when Thomas is running away, he's like, I'll get you. I got good legs. They're resurrected legs. Watch out. I don't care. I don't care what you think you've done. I don't care who you think you are. The story of Easter tells us that God is for us. He's coming after us, and he is relentless. And the question for us is, where are we going? Are we going to stay with our pain, see where that takes us? Or are we going to go with Jesus? Just remember, indecision is a decision. Where are we going? Jesus, we know your spirit is moving Come, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would just open our eyes to see that Jesus moves toward hurting people. He creates space for us. Jesus, you didn't just die for us, you live for us. God, I pray, I pray that we would not stay at a fork in the road, but we would just open our eyes and see you moving toward us and we would say yes. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.